Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader. Once again, if you want to get in touch with me, you can uh, go to my website, FaderFiles, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com, and uh, check out what else I do in the world besides uh, this radio show. Um, Also, you can get on my mailing list by going to FaderFiles, and uh, you can get in touch with me. Anything you hear on these programs, I welcome any comments. This morning, among other things, we're going to talk about Donald Trump, his election, and the press, the role that the media uh, played in uh, his election and his relationship to the press in general, uh, what that's going to portend. We have to worry, I think, a little bit about um, freedom of the press as we move forward here. Maybe we have to worry more than a little bit. Uh, we have uh, a guest with us today to help us uh, talk about this, Eric Bollard. Hiya. How are you? Okay, how you doing? Good, thanks. Uh, let me uh, tell uh, the listeners who you are. Eric Bollard is a senior fellow for Media Matters, and he's the author of Bloggers on the Bus, How the Internet Changes Politics and the Press, and Lapdogs, How the Press Rolled Over for Bush. Uh, Previously, he wrote on staff for Salon and Rolling Stone. Uh, Let me uh, start off with uh, a couple of quotes from an article that you recently wrote. Um, First of all, you quoted CBS uh, CEO Les Moonves discussing Donald Trump last February 2016. And Moonves said, It may not be good for America, but it's damn good for CBS. The money's rolling in, and this is fun. Uh Uh-huh. And um, 
Just uh, to open up this article, you wrote, while reporters and pundits sift through their harassing and sometimes anti-Semitic letters and emails from Trump supporters and contemplate what the future holds if radio show Laura Ingraham, radio show host Laura Ingraham, becomes the next White House press secretary, few seem to be in the mood to reflect on their just concluded camp on their just camp a concluded campaign effort, and even fewer scribes seem willing to accept that the media made serious missteps in their election coverage and that those mistakes helped elect Donald Trump president. Now, everybody's going over um, what were the reasons that the Democrats failed, what were the reasons that the Republicans succeeded, why Trump, why not Clinton, all of these things. Uh, so everybody's doing a serious Monday morning quarterbacking. But... Um, one thing that uh, you're concerned about is that the press dropped the ball very badly and uh, is um, in large part, significant part, responsible for Trump's election. How, how, do, you, how do you see that? Yeah, um, yeah and, and the other point is that I have no interest in, in looking at that now. But look, you know, I think uh, there was a lot of discussion about the press and Trump during the campaign uh, all the way from the summer of 2015 through now. Uh, through the general election, uh, basically, you know, the the press held Trump to a much lower, softer standard, and they held Hillary Clinton to this almost ridiculously high standard. So, if we talk about Trump, um, you know, uh, the, the first sort of red red flag came last summer when he appeared on the scene, immediately vaulted to the top of the uh, Republican field. Um, and television news started letting him call into their shows, right? Mm-hmm. Call in to meet the press, call in to face the nation, call in to CNN. Um, particularly the Sunday shows had a hard and fast rule. Nobody ever called into the show unless it was you know, breaking news. Here's Trump in Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue, mm-hmm. right? Basically six blocks away from the NBC studio. He won't even travel to NBC, but NBC meets the, meet the press, lets him call in. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a signal. I, you need me. I don't need you. Um, I am going to deliver ratings for you, and you're going to create an entirely different way to cover a candidate. And that's exactly what they did. So... It, yeah. They're, they were immediately caving in that way, right? That was the first mistake. Say it again? They were immediately caving in. That was their first mistake. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and another key turning point was August of 2015 when Fox hosted the first Republican debate, and that was the first Trump debate. And typically for a primary debate more than a year away from Election Day, you get three or four million viewers uh, Fox got 25 million viewers, hmm. right? So suddenly Trump morphed in from being a candidate into being an asset. And we know that specifically because CNN hosted the next debate and they charged 500 times their normal primetime rate because they knew, they knew their primetime audience was going to go from a million and a half to 20 million. 500 so, times, wow. How do you cover a candidate who becomes a cash cow, who becomes an asset? Does that change the way you cover the candidate? Do you do things to make him feel comfortable? Do you go out of your way to not be, you know, antagonistic? Mm. Um, and another way, another key way was, you know, just um, particularly the cable news shows, uh, just airing his rallies unfiltered, you know, 40, 50 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, no one had ever aired live rallies for a primary candidate for an hour uh, and just given them a national platform. You know, and the New York Times pointed out last winter, uh, Trump had received something like, uh, I, I can't remember the figure, billions of dollars mm-hmm. uh, in free advertising. So, you know, I think with Trump, basically, you know, he got in the race <coughs> June 2015. It wasn't really until March, April, May of 2016, what is that, nine months? Mm-hmm that the press really started treating him like a serious candidate, started vetting him the way uh, traditional candidates normally are. For nine months, you know, I think he was basically treated as a celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got a very late start in, in looking into, um, you know, his past and his, his policies and things like that. On the flip side for Hillary Clinton, I think the coverage was, 
you know, basically relentlessly caustic, relentlessly negative, uh, very snark-filled. You know, she's so unlikable. You know, why can't she inspire people? And, and in particular, the email coverage, um, which um, but, which was, uh, to, <clears throat> to me, just completely out of control, out of all proportion, and particularly uh, when the FBI basically inserted itself into the campaign. You know, um, but, the New York uh, Times ran seven front-page stories in three days after uh, after the FBI letter. Um, to, to me, the coverage looked like, uh, you know, man lands on the moon coverage. I mean, it was just splashed across the front page. This was for an announcement about emails the FBI hadn't even looked at and might not prove to be significant, but, uh, let, which, let me, which they weren't. Well, let me ask you something. During, yeah. <clears throat> to go back a little bit, uh, when the Times was covering um, the primaries, uh, the Democratic primaries, they did the most astounding hatchet job on Bernie Sanders, and, and uh, it seems to me that they were treating Hillary Clinton like a saint compared to Bernie Sanders. No, I, I would disagree. I think the coverage was... Um, you know why can't you, you know why doesn't she have support among young? Why doesn't she do this? Why doesn't she do that? I don't think they were perfect uh, with Bernie Sanders, and we've seen a couple studies. Harvard did a study, and there were uh, another study looking at the primary coverage. Um, uh, Hillary Clinton uh, received by far the most negative coverage of any candidate, Republican or Democrat. Um, this is the woman that got the most votes, and she got the most negative coverage, which is not an easy feat to pull off. Um, I think that I think the press generally liked having Sanders in the race. They were terrified that no one was going to run, mm -hmm. and that what were they going to cover for seven or eight or nine months? Um, I think they generally liked having him in the race. Um, but they, I, but they went after him more. I, th I, it just seems to me like I, basically I have to say that I do, I do read the New York Times, not to the exclusion of everything else, but it's my hometown paper, and I tend to read it, you know, with a large lump of salt. But um, it, it, it seems to me that uh, they, um, they really, they really didn't give him it, when, when he started to become a serious candidate, when he started to get a real following. That's when yeah. they really went after him. Went after him? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, the New York Times employs Maureen Dowd, right? Maureen mm -hmm. Dowd probably wrote, has probably written twenty columns this year, just eviscerating Hillary Clinton. Well, that's just true. In, in the most like personal, toxic way. I didn't, I didn't see any New York Times columnist week after week just laying into Bernie Sanders and and and. and uh, describing him as a hollow, empty person or anything like that. So mm. um, I, I, I would argue there, there was a different... I think there's an institutional antagonism uh, with the Times and the Clintons. It goes back to the 90s. It goes back to Whitewater. It goes back to this insatiable desire for Republican Fed scandals, you know, even if they didn't exist. Um, and, and another thing about, uh, the, you know, the emails, mm -hmm. you know, basically, and, and going fast forwarding to the general, uh, general election, um, you know, the press basically created this category of news, uh, for Hillary Clinton, which was the emails. The emails in a way became a placeholder for her entire campaign. Uh, I did a piece uh, a week or so ago looking at the uh, uh, network news, NBC, CBS, and ABC, their evening newscasts, you know, still sort of their signature right. news program. Mm -hmm. uh, this year alone, they, um, they set aside 125 minutes for Clinton email coverage. Uh, they set aside 35 minutes for all policy coverage for all the candidates, education, poverty, infrastructure, foreign policy, <laughs> climate change. Uh, so for the press in 2016, the Clinton email stories was uh, four, three or four times more important than all policy coverage for all Democratic and Republican candidates. Well, and maybe you, that's, that's a signal that something was radically um, out of balance. Well, <clears throat> now... The press, uh, the press, of course, can't be heard to uh, to blame Trump for pulling everything down to his level. I mean, they didn't have to cover it that way, right? I mean, 
Yeah, I think generally over time, um, you know, Trump was basically normalized, and we're, and we're seeing that accelerated again during this, this transition period in the last seven days. Well, I mean, he he is appointing some of the, you know, whether it's whether it's Bannon or Flynn or Sessions. I mean, he is he is appointing some of the most fringe, radical right characters in American politics. Uh, and and I and you know I look at the headlines and and I just kind of chuckle. I mean NPR had a headline today about you know Flynn who who who, who um, uh, is going to be a national security advisor apparently. The NPR um, headline was he ruffles feathers. Okay, he is well, a NPR, raging, raging Islamophobic. Well, NPR, yeah, I, <laughs> I know. Mean, I you, you can't even put this stuff on the chart in terms of mainstream. American politics. Well, uh, NPR, but, NPR is, uh, you know, relentlessly bland. Put oh, it that way, you well, know. that, yeah. They've always been that, like that. But, I mean, you know. the, 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 <laughs> the, like the Times today, the front page of the Times uh, was, uh, I mean, you know, they can't write their editorial opinions on the front page. They have to report that he was, uh, I mean, but, uh you know, I I don't know. It's it's a difficult thing. But you're saying that uh, they're they're already normalizing. Yeah, they're carrying that, that procedure into the into the. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, because they're. I understand you you make a good point. You can't editorialize on the front page, but you can also stay steer clear of pointless euphemisms like ruffling feathers or a firebrand or or things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think if Trump is going to surround himself with some of the most radical players in American politics, it can't read like, uh, you know, it, it, it can't read like Jeb Bush is, is filling out his cabinet. That's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think the press did a poor job during the campaign. I mean, we saw all those fact-check sites um, fact-check Trump, right? The, the only really conclusion you could come away with is, is he's a pathological liar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, something like 70, 80 percent of the of, of the statements that were fact checked uh, were false, you know, compared to like eight or nine percent for, for Sanders and Clinton during the campaign. I mean, he, it's, it's off the charts. This is all unprecedented. Uh, but of course, you know, the New York Times and, and, and you know, the so-called liberal media mm-hmm. is scared to death of calling the Republican nominee a liar. Uh, and so they've, you know, they kind of uh, artlessly danced around that for months and months. So, you know, Trump in general basically dared the press to do its job. They dared the press. He dared the press to um, but they, but, uh, accurately state what was unfolding. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, the press was afraid to say so. Well, uh, was it the Washington Post or the Times or jointly they broke this story about him not paying his taxes, right? It seems to right. me that they really did go after him about uh, the fact that he uses uh, Chinese steel to build his, uh, to build his hotels. and his Yeah, own, and, 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 and that's a good point. And, and that's, to me, that's kind of vetting 101, right? So that, to me, when he catapulted to the front of the Republican field last summer, those are the stories you would expect last summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, vetting. What, it, what are his business backgrounds? Where, how did he make his money? What are the conflicts of interest? Who would he be beholden to? Um, uh, and, and, and we didn't get those. And, you know, he, he announced in June of 2015, we didn't get those stories until May or June of 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, that was, that was a major major uh, failure on the press's part. When it, came, when it arrived, it was, some of it was very good. It was a year late. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess the same thing applies to the uh, all this stuff, a uh, day late and a dollar short, whatever yeah. it is. Uh, and, uh, and here's the same another thing. key point, and, and here's the problem going forward, right? So it's, in, in my opinion, Trump completely bullied, not completely, 80% bullied, the press during the campaign. Mm-hmm. And so now he has the he has the power of the federal government in his hands. Uh, and we've already seen, you know, he, he's traveling around New York City without a press pool. You know, he's traveling to other cities without a press pool. Mm-hmm. Every other president-elect in modern times has immediately established a press pool, so the press will always know where the president is. 
On Wednesday, there were reports that he had flown to D.C. unannounced, and his spokesperson had to tell NBC News, oh, no, he's, he's in Trump Towers. I, 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 I guarantee you he didn't fly to... We didn't know where he was. Not a big deal, maybe on that day, but other days it would be. So he has absolutely denied access to the press. Yes, he made himself available during the primary. From late July to Election Day, he refused to answer press questions. He wouldn't have a press conference. Mm -hmm. uh, all indications are he is going to absolutely turn off the spigot uh, in terms of the federal government for press access. I, I, I would not be surprised in the least. If the Trump White House announces they're not they're not going to have daily press briefings for the press, mm -hmm. which has been going on for decades, because there's no law White House has to have a daily press briefing. There's no law the State Department has to have a daily press briefing. It's a tradition. It's sort of a goodwill gesture uh, for transparency. I I assume right now that that Trump will cancel those. And so where are we going to get information? if there's not daily briefings, and more importantly, if basically no one in the federal government is, is allowed to talk to the press or is willing to talk to the press. What if no, you know, if people at the Treasury Department aren't putting out information, won't return any reporter's phone call? I mean, we're heading to, uh, to towards a colossal crisis in terms of news information and transparency. Uh, and I not convinced um, that the press has the nerve for that fight and is willing to stand up to Trump. Well, I mean, they can complain all they want. If the, if the spigot's been turned off, there's nothing they can do about it. I mean, what alarms me more than anything else is that uh, he um, he has uh, uh, made an announcement, or at least I heard, I read this somewhere, that he intends to uh, have... Uh, um, you know, large uh, gatherings and this rallies, sense. yes, rallies uh, where he only speaks. in states where he won. Well, if he's going to speak directly to his followers like that, then you know, I mean, also I noticed that uh, the uh, some people like Obama and Clinton and everybody else are trying to be uh, look on the on the positive side, but it's a yeah. total it's a total waste of time. I mean, you know, but you know. And I've read in other places, uh, op-ed pieces in the Times, that now is not the time or it's not a good idea to make comparisons to fascism or, uh -huh. to, or to Hitler. And, there are, and I think now is the perfect time to start doing <laughs> it. I think it was the perfect time to start doing it a little while ago. You know. Well, uh, look, you know, I, I was tweeting when Obama was speaking at his press conference, and I said, God bless him. You know, he's, put, he's trying to put his best spin on this, and he's trying to calm people down. But I also stress I would not I would people should not be encouraged by any of this. Mm. Uh, and, and 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 you know after, on election night, you know on election night I, I tweeted that the consequences of of this are going to be incalculable, uh, and it's going and, and and it's not written anywhere that America gets to have a happy ending, and mm -hmm. it, and there's no guarantee we come out the other side of this the, the same country. So yeah. I I I agree. I've I've been you know, ring, ringing the uh, alarm bells. None of this. You know, I, I, you know I, saw, I saw Tom Hanks. He was saying, oh, we're going to be okay. You know, America, we're fine. Well, we're not going to be okay. It, it's not. No, no, it is absolutely not. Oh, we're not going to be okay. <laughs> I mean, there, there was a report today that, I, what was it, the North Pole was, was I, I couldn't even believe the headline, 20 degrees warmer. Than, I mean, mm -hmm. if, if you combine a Trump presidency with the people he has now made it clear he's going to surround himself with with a climate change crisis that will not only go unaddressed by the Trump administration but will be kind of actively fueled mm -hmm. uh, look I don't mean to be doomsday or anything but the press needs to get its, its hands around the fact that there could be an expiration date on all of this stuff. And, and so when I see headlines like NPR, you know, ruffles feathers or, or, or things like that, uh, I, 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 I don't get the sense that the press either understands what's happening. And again, you know, we have Jeff Sessions, who's going to, who's going to be nominated for the attorney general. Oh. His own Republican colleagues in the 80s deemed him to be so unacceptable I.e. racist, mm -hmm. that, he, that he couldn't win 
uh, a federal judgeship, and now Trump wants him to be attorney general. I don't, I don't know if the press understands or is just still too timid to forcefully explain what's unfolding and what's going to unfold. Well, maybe they're afraid in advance that uh, that. Well, there is something. I mean, after all, you 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 written a book. Uh, by the way, if you, you just tuned in, we listen to Eric uh, Bollert from. Uh, he's a senior fellow at Media Matters. Uh, his last name is spelled B O E H L E R T. Eric Bollert, and uh, his Twitter handle is at Eric Bollert. Um, you have written a book, "Bloggers on the Bus: How the Internet Changes Politics and the Press." When you're talking about uh, the press right now, when we're talking about the press, you're talking about um, major television stations right, right. and major newspapers. But uh, how long has it been since? I mean, clearly, the people who voted for uh, who, who voted for Trump couldn't care less about uh, the major media, right? Right. Right. You know, a me- a Media Matters put up a graphic. You know, I think the week before the campaign. Uh, listing the number of newspapers that had endorsed Clinton and the number that had endorsed Trump. I think it was 162 to 4. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the, the twilight of the elites is upon us, right? The voters right. didn't really care. There was a lot of things the voters didn't care about. But I think in terms of the media, the really troubling and frightening part is uh, we're now learning, uh, unfortunately, after the election, we're learning the depths and... and, and um, of these of this fake news phenomena mm-hmm. you know on on Google and on Facebook you know these are oh, articles what? that were created specifically to be false uh, uh just give you an example you know an FBI agent who had been investigating Clinton's emails was found dead in ar- uh, in an arson right mm-hmm. so that was spread around got i don't know how many tens of thousands of hits and shares uh, and 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 we're now seeing the extraordinary amount of traffic. Ninety percent of these fake news stories were anti-Clinton or pro-Trump. BuzzFeed did a piece this week, and they you know they did the measurements. They suggested these fake news stories got more traffic than real news stories mm-hmm. during the end of the campaign. So, so I'm already a- in the doomsday camp, but we are facing. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we are facing a Trump administration that is tr- is going to try to s- completely silence the press. I don't know if they have the nerve to fight back. In the meantime, we've got this rampant phenomena of just completely fake news that that Trump and the Republicans would like to replace with legitimate news. Now, there's no way a, do- a democracy can 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 sustain that kind of diet. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just not possible. No. So I guess, and and then the same thing applies to this astounding conflict of interest. There's been no there's no historical precedent for anything even right. remotely like this, right? Right. And and if we go back to the double standard, right? How many hundreds, hundreds of articles did did the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post write about the Clinton Foundation? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't find any conflicts, but there's the appearance of conflicts. Right. right. The optics don't look good. And now we've got Trump, where it will be literally impossible to determine where the U.S. foreign policy ends and his business goals begin. Uh, and, and the press spent a year writing about basically fictitious conflicts of the Clinton Foundation, mm-hmm. basically gave a free pass to Trump, whose business dealings were obviously going to be a massive, colossal a conflict of interest, and he had already signaled that he, no, he's not going to put a dime of it in a blind trust, mm-hmm. and he's just going to he's just going to stroll into the White House uh, with this octopus-like conglomerate, uh, and <laughs> so I mean, to me, that you know, the double standard doesn't get any more clear than that. <sighs> well, um, another issue is that he's um, he's appointed um, Stephen Bannon. Uh, yeah. To be to be his uh, chief policy strategist right. or advisor or whatever these endless uh, titles are, uh, I think a lot of people don't really know exactly who Stephen Bannon is, and they don't know what Breitbart News is. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about Stephen Bannon and Breitbart News. Um, well, Stephen Bannon is you know he 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 ran Breitbart News, and he's kind of 
commonly referred to as a, as a white nationalist, and he's going to be he's going to be uh, Trump's top advisor because he doesn't need any sort of confirmation. Breitbart Breitbart started out in in uh, during the early years of the Obama administration as kind of uh, another right wing media site, kind of like a drudge, try, kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, an, an online version of Fox News doing their own investigating, doing their own reporting, uh, and putting a very, very heavy anti-Obama spin on everything. Over the years, it's kind of evolved into basically a, an Islamophobic, um, white nationalist um, site, um, yeah, yeah, fiercely so anti-women. Um, and and Bannon ran it, and he was tapped by um, the Trump campaign to come over and help run his campaign over the summer. So that that is the point of view. That's the media voice that is synonymous with Trump. And so that kind of really guttural, hateful stuff mm-hmm. uh, from Breitbart is now going to be um, an important part of the of the Trump White House. Well, um, doomsday is uh, appropriate. So, it is. Uh, so and, what? You know, uh, I've been doing this a long time. I've been watching the media a long time and writing about it and being critical. And uh, and when it's time, and and you know, I don't normally flip the doomsday switch. I've been again very critical of how mm-hmm. they treated, in many ways, the obama administration the way they turned a blind eye to the republican party as it became increasingly radical and obstructionist but we are we are so far uh, into a different realm at this point uh... and the prospects uh... don't look good and the prospects are are frightening in terms of not politics in america but but the future uh... the future of this country and and if we mm-hmm. can survive all this Freedom of the press. Uh, is there is there any hope whatsoever that you see? <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm you know I'm bound to ask. Uh, well, there always there's always hope, right? I mean, I I wrote I wrote um, the other day that a week after the election, it, it felt to me like the run up to the Iraq War, right? We had weakened Democrats, we had a we had an irresponsible press, in my opinion. And we had the Republican Party kind of leading the country into the abyss, and and it, it was a nightmare for many years, and uh, and the war took a terrible toll on the country, and 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 the Bush almost destroyed the American economy, mm-hmm. uh, but we survived and, and and we came back. Um, so uh, hopefully we can you know do the same and and just keep doing the hard work and and, and trying to hold people accountable. All right. Um, thank you very much, Eric Bollert from uh, Media Matters. And uh, if people want to get in, t- if they want to find out more about Media Matters, they should uh, go where? Sure, mediamatters.org. And uh, get in touch with you. It's Twitter at Eric Bollert, right? Exactly, yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Have a great week. You too. Okay, we're going to take a break now, and then we'll be back. Thank you. 
<clears throat> Doomsday. So that's a, a that's a real downer interview, right? I mean, it's the kind of thing that to teach you, you know, you never want to hear. You you want to hear that uh, there's hope, that there's uh, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. It is very difficult. I've been reading uh, op-ed pieces in the Times. I've been reading uh, articles from. Um, you know, uh, from various websites online. And uh, it's, uh, people are finding a lot of trouble finding any reason to be optimistic about this. I mean, a lot of, re- a lot of reasons to be pessimistic. When you look at who his appointments are, um, people like Giuliani, uh, who he might be considering even, Giuliani for Secretary of State, um, this guy Michael Flynn as uh, National Security Advisor, uh, you've got people who are belligerent, who are crazy, who are bigoted, who are uh, who who see military solutions and only military solutions to absolutely everything. They only see force. I mean, people were complaining. A lot of people were complaining that Hillary Clinton is too much of a hawk. Well, that was true, but she's a she's a virtual dove compared to these people. These people. This is like Doctor Strangelove. This is like people who uh, in the military who are completely out of control. And um, it's uh, what this basically is, in my opinion, is an attempt by uh, white people, uh, a certain group of white people to say, you know, not liberals, or, but a certain group of conservative uh, white people. And that goes everywhere from anywhere from uh, the, uh, you know, from lower class people all the way to upper class people and everything in between. This is the, this is the last stand and it's a, it's a powerful stand and it could wind up changing and it will wind up changing the entire country. Uh, this is a, an attempt by white people to bring this back, uh, when he when he says uh, when Trump was saying "Make America Great Again," he was basically saying "Make America White Again," and a lot of people were feeling that. A lot of white people were feeling that that uh, they were the country was slipping away from them, that they were losing the country. And um, in reality, uh, one way to look at it was that they sort of were. It was becoming less of a white country than it ever had been before, and it is becoming less of a white country. Does that all stop now? I mean, there's no limit to what this guy can do. Don't forget, uh, and this is something that Republican and Democratic um, administrations have perpetuated since, uh, since Roosevelt, which is using more and more executive power and subtracting power from the other branches. Um, there are more executive orders, uh, you know, great movements and actions of the government and uh, the government's, especially the government's use of force, are taken by, execu- are taken by executive action now. The president does not consult Congress. Uh, the president just signs an executive order saying that uh, these troops will be moved here, these troops will be moved here. This is especially true, as I say, when it comes to... Um, military force and military power. You have to really, really worry about this. After all, because of the Patriot Act, in which the Democrats and the Republicans in Congress rolled over for George Bush, the Patriot Act basically gave a blank check to the president to use military power wherever he felt like he needed to use it and whenever he felt like he needed to use it. And presidents have been doing that, either uh, openly or not openly. So this is something that uh, that people have a reason to be very afraid, uh, very afraid of. Um, and I tell you, this is the first time in my life, here I am, 71 years old, it's the first time in my life in the United States as a human being living in the United States, as an American citizen, that I am afraid because I'm a Jew. I mean, I see, I mean, knowing a little bit about history and having read about history in the 30s and and the, the rise of Hitler and the rise of fascism in Europe. Fascism in Europe is very strong now. What's called nationalist parties, you know, they're always given the names like the Patriotic Party or the National Party. Nationalist movements in, in Europe, Marie Le Pen in France and um, various other leaders and groups in uh, European countries, they are on the verge of also winning... Uh, power and running their governments there. The world is turning to fascism again. I guess, yeah, there's plenty of reasons why this is happening, but the world is turning to fascism again, and it's happening in our own country. 
Um, uh, wasn't there a title of a book? It can't happen here, but it is now happening here. Um, you will see people who have no problem uh, with internment of people that they don't like. Uh, yes, concentration camps. A couple of people, uh, somebody who was being considered for uh, attorney general or uh, I don't know what it was, some national security position, um, brought up, I guess, unconsciously, or was it consciously, the internment of the Japanese during World War II, pointing out how that was supposed to be a positive thing, when in fact it was a great crime and a shame the way we treated the Japanese uh, citizens of the United States. By far, one of the most law-abiding groups of citizens of the United States during World War II, they were interned. They were put in, um, taken mostly from the West Coast, where most of them lived, and put in um, concentration camps um, in, out in various places in the West. Lost their businesses, um, a lot of them um, victims of uh, depression and, uh, and tremendous misery, loss of positions of power, uh, loss of positions in universities, their businesses, as I say, were taken away. This kind of thing can happen. And if they can do that with them, they can do that with anybody. Uh, there is talk by some people, uh, Trump himself was talking about a registry of Islamic uh, people, a registry of Muslims. Now, they always use the word Islamic terrorism. But what they really mean, these, these uh, revenge of the white people group, is uh, they, what they really mean is they want to get back at everybody they don't like. There was a, a congressman the other day, I forget where he was from, Wisconsin or someplace, who proposed uh, uh, drawing up a, a congressional uh, pronouncement, if not actually uh, drawing up um, uh, a bill which could be signed into law, that protesters are terrorists, that anybody who protests is a terrorist. This is fascism. The, the, we are right on the edge of pure fascism. And people are saying, a lot of people are saying, no, it's offensive. You can't do that. You don't want to piss off half the country that voted for Trump. You don't want to get them. You don't want to include them all in one uh, basket, to use a certain word. You don't want to put them all in one basket. But um, to make comparisons to Hitler and to make comparisons to fascism in Germany in the 1930s is perfectly apt at this point. It's perfectly apt. This is this is, uh, and as a Jew, I'm scared again because. You've got people like this guy, Stephen Bannon, and this is the, from the New York Times. Stephen Bannon, um, you know, here's, here's an editorial from the New York Times. Uh, anyone holding out hope that Donald Trump would, be, would govern as a uniter, that the racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, and nativism of his, of his campaign would just poses to pick up votes should think again. <clears throat> it is an ominous sign of what the Trump presidency will actually look like in an, ominous, in an ominous sign of what the pre Trump presidency will actually look like, the president-elect on Sunday appointed Stephen Bannon as his chief White House strategist and senior counselor in an enormously influential post. Um, many, if not most Americans, had never heard of Mr. Bannon before this weekend, and for good reason. He has kept a low profile even after taking over Mr. Trump's campaign in August. Before that, he worked as the executive chairman of the Breitbart News Network, parent company of the far-right website Breitbart News, which under Mr. Bannon became what the Southern Poverty Law Center has called a white ethno-nationalist propaganda mill. This is the guy who's going to be the senior policy advisor, the, maybe the chief advisor to Donald Trump. I can't believe, I can't say President Trump or pre, you know President. I just can't. It's still hard for me to say it. <clears throat> Mr. Bannon uh, himself seems fine with that description. That is to say, um, that his organization and he himself, white ethno nationalist propaganda mill, he's fine with that description. Telling Mother Jones last summer that Breitbart was now the platform of the alt right a loosely organized group of mostly young men who believe in white supremacy, oppose immigration, feminism, and multiculturalism, and delight in harassing Jews, Muslims, and other vulnerable groups by spewing shocking insults on social media. Now, these people 
these people who everybody said, oh, these are right-wing nuts, these are fringe, these people are now the center of our government or will be in just in several weeks, the very central part of our government. And it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. I think of concentration camps. I think of... Uh, of uh, you know the the laws that were passed in Nazi Germany in the 30s against Jews, worse and worse and worse. They couldn't own businesses. They couldn't teach in universities. Uh, they couldn't. Uh, and then, for, and then finally the uh, the uh, the solution to the Jewish problem, right? And there have been serious suggestions. And this uh, Trump is. Uh, is hiring all these people to appoint to, to the major positions of power in this country that they might want to register, that is to say, register every Muslim in the country, not Islamic terrorists, but register every Muslim in the country. There's no reason to stop with that. And if they're going to try to outlaw any protests as terrorism, then that's it. I mean, and he's going to ignore the press entirely. So there'll be no, there'll, there may be freedom of the press, but it won't make any difference anymore because he is not going to give the press any information whatsoever. If they want to report, they'll have to take their lives probably into their hands or lose their jobs or risk uh, you know, being prosecuted by the government. Also, Trump last February said that he was uh, seriously interested in suing anybody in the press who said anything bad about him. And, of course, people are going to say incredibly critical things about him, and they have to. It's their duty to. If he's going to sue everybody and use the White House counsel to do it or use his own uh, you know, money, and he has billions of dollars, to sue people every time they say something critical of him, where does that leave us all? Um, <clears throat> back to Breitbart. To scroll through Breitbart headlines is to come upon a parallel universe where black people do nothing but commit crimes Immigrants rape native-born daughters, and feminists want to castrate all men. Here's his sample. This is the guy who is going to be his top policy advisor. Here's an example of uh, Breitbart News headlines. Quote, hoisted high and proud, the Confederate flag proclaims a glorious heritage. This headline ran two weeks after a white supremacist massacred nine black churchgoers in Charleston, South Carolina. Here's another headline from Breitbart News. Birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. Gabby Giffords, the gun control movement's human shield. And, and, and the Times continues here. If you don't find the headlines alarming, check the reader comments or take a look at who's rejoicing over Mr. Bannon's selection. Uh, the white nationalist Richard Spencer said on Twitter that Mr. Bannon was in the best possible position to influence policy since he would not get lost in the weeds of establishment Washington. Um, the chairman of the American Nazi Party said the pics showed that Mr. Trump might be for real. David Duke, former imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, called the choice excellent and said Mr. Bannon was basically creating the ideological aspects of where we're going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> I... I I can't keep going on like this, right? Because after a while, who wants to hear this terribly depressing, awful news? But I guess um, news organizations and uh, PRN.org, uh, PRN.FM, rather, PRN.FM, and this show among them are going to be some of the news organizations that are going to have to take risks and point out exactly what's going on, as best we know what's going on. Uh, we'll take our cue from uh, wherever we can take our cue from, and we'll get our facts wherever we can get our facts from. But this is a very, very bad time. And uh, to try to paper it over, to try to, uh, to use euphemisms, as Eric Bowler was saying earlier in the show, this is not the time for this now. This is the time to keep calling it exactly what it is, nascent fascism. And uh, I don't want to end on a hopeless note, but we really are in for a hard time. And we should know that, and we should try to do our best about it. All right, that's it for this week. This is Mike Fader, and uh, once again, if you want to uh, get in touch with me, go to my website, FaderFiles, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S.com, and you can contact me, get in touch with me, and that will be fine with me. Thank you very much.
Keep the devil 